this time let's turn in your Bibles to James. <clears throat> we'll be reading James 1, 12 through 15, and to give honor to the Lord that has given us his holy word, we'll stand as we begin reading James 1, starting at verse 12. This is God's holy and infallible word. James 1, verse 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot, uh, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this, your word, and we pray that you would help us to flee uh, temptation and help us by your sovereign hand to carry us through when you have ordained for us those trials of testing, those testing of our faith. Help us, we pray, give us that enduring spirit um, through your Holy Spirit. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. There are some people who like to say or wonder... Why did God allow these terrible things to happen to me? I served him, I love him, I worship him, but why did God allow terrible things to happen to me? Um, you know, I've used this illustration before, but you know, I, I know people that used to be church going and then they no longer go to church because they lost a business and they, they lost their home. So in other words, I guess the conclusion is, well, we, we love God, we worship God, but he let bad things happen to me, so I'm no longer going to worship him because he let these things happen to me. I don't think that's the way that we are to look at things. I don't think that's what today's text tells us. And we'll find out some of God's sovereign plan for why he lets trials and troubles and tribulations come unto us. Uh, James wrote this epistle, not just to a single church, but it's what we would call a general epistle, written to, it says in verse 1, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad, verse 1. So it's not just to one particular congregation, it's written to, you could say, the whole church, right? And uh, just because it mentions here the 12 tribes, he's not only writing to Jews, but maybe you could say that James has a primary audience of converts from Judaism. Maybe. The reason for this dispersal mentioned in verse 1 that are dispersed abroad is because of the persecution that happened to the church in the first century. Back in Acts 8, in that same passage when Paul's going around persecuting uh, Christians and condoning the stoning of Stephen, it says in, in uh, chapter 8 that great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. 
So one of the reasons why there was this scattering abroad was because of persecution. The New Testament church, when this was written, had already endured great trials and troubles and would continue to endure great trials and troubles for the Christian faith. Many of them left homes, left family, some of them left spouses and even children for the sake of the gospel. Some of them left their livelihoods and had to endure great hardships. Some of them even suffered death for the sake of the cross of Christ. Again, a good place to study some of that is in looking at the, the early parts of the Fox's Book of Martyrs. At this time, when this was written, the church had already endured trials and troubles and tribulations, and they were going to endure further trials, troubles, and tribulations. As we look at today's text, the main focus is that you must endure trials and tribulations to attain trials and temptations. You must endure trials and temptations to attain eternal life in Christ. That's something that we have to endure, trials and temptations. We we'll looked at this in two main points. Blessed perseverance is the first. And secondly, do not be tempted by evil. Let's look at this first main point. Blessed perseverance. Verse 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now the word here for blessed is makarios. It's the same word used in Christ's Beatitudes in Matthew 5. So if you look at this, um, this was first pointed out to me by reading Dr. John MacArthur. Dr. John MacArthur in this passage points out that if it's the same word and it's following the same pattern, it's almost as, as if James is doing a continuation of the Beatitudes, isn't he? This is like a James Beatitude, a Beatitude coming from James, imitating the Beatitudes of Jesus Christ. And this is what Dr. MacArthur wrote. Blessed means much more than mere happiness of a carefree life that has no little conflict or trouble. It carries ideas, this word blessed here, it carries ideas of a profounder inner joy and satisfaction, a joy that only the Lord himself is able to bestow on those who, for his sake and his power, faithfully and patiently endure and conquer trials. Wow, that's a pretty good definition of blessed. You know, if you look at a lexicon, it says blessed can also mean happy. Well, this is a much richer, deeper definition, a profound inner joy and satisfaction, even in the midst of trouble, even in the midst of trials and testing and hardship. Now, if you look at most modern Christianity, they would think you're crazy if you told them that you were blessed because you endured a trial. Because the modern church, not all of it, but some of the modern church of what I would call the, the fake gospel of health, wealth, and prosperity means God's evidence 
of his blessing you is giving you stuff, giving you positions, giving you wonderful things of this world, and that's what the blessing is. But that's not what our text says tonight. Our text tonight says that the blessedness we have is God's persevering grace even through the midst of trials. Now, you might say to yourself, God loves me. I know God loves me because I have embraced Jesus Christ and he gave his son to die for me. So then why does God allow me to have the trials in the first place? We have an answer. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. Starting at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Okay, let's break this up a little bit. Peter said that true believers have an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. It's reserved for you in heaven. That's fantastic news. If you truly have salvation in Christ, you have an inheritance that cannot be taken away. The world cannot take it away from you. The evil one cannot take it away from you. It is reserved and preserved for you in heaven. It says your, your inheritance, but also you personally, are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. I don't know if you've heard this before, but we, we believe in the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. Those who are truly God's people will persevere unto the end. But the reason we persevere to the end is because of God's preserving power. We persevere because God preserves us. And it says here, we're preserved, we're protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation that's ready to be revealed. It says this is reason why we should greatly rejoice. Christians persevere through trials because God is with us and God protects us. He says he'll never let us go. He holds us in the palm of, our, of his hand. 
Christ holds us in the palm of his hand. The Father holds us in the palm of his hand, and he will never let us go, according to John chapter 10. Now, the explanation of why, if you ask the question, well, why God lets these things happen, is in verse 7. Peter said that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you get gold that you've, you mine, maybe in the mountains somewhere in California or somewhere up in the, in the Midwest or something, you find gold, it comes as a nugget with a bunch of impurities and things mixed with it. The only way you're going to get pure gold is to put that gold through the fire, to melt it down, to remove the dross and other impurities, and that is the way that you get pure gold. That's what God does with us. He refines us by fire so that we come out, as it says here, for the praise and glory and honor. And we see that He gets the praise glory and honor in how he delivered us. Sometimes we see it in this life, but most time, a lot of times we don't maybe understand the reason why. Think about this. Maybe you went through a great suffering. Maybe the Lord took my brother at the age 50 so that someone would consider their ways and turn from their sin and repent. And that that trial God used for his praise and glory and honor in the conversion of someone. Very well, that could be a reason. But we don't understand, I mean, a lot of this, we don't don't know God's plan. But one day, He will reveal that plan to us. And the reason why we suffered, the reason why we went through trials, which is also called testing in, in 1 Peter 1, the reason is for our purification, our growth in holiness. And it says, it will be revealed why. The greatest praise and glory and honor will be revealed at the revelation of Jesus Christ. On that great day of judgment when Christ returns and he judges the living and the dead, then we'll get the answers of why these things happen unto us, that God was using it for his glory and honor and for his praise, and maybe for the saving of the lost. Next, we're getting back to James, chapter 1. He's telling us that we are to not be tempted by evil. But he gives a definition here of how evil comes into the world. Uh, Look at verses 13 through 14. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. These verses claim that God is not the author of sin, as some some might say. God is not the author of sin. I, I read something online recently that somebody was claiming that Calvinism teaches that God is the author of sin. How ridiculous. Uh, it says here, each one... Each person, when they are themselves tempted by lust, that is the reason why they 
carry out sin. Why they're, why they're tempted, it's because of their own individual lust. Remember the things that we have to war against, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, James here is saying that really the, the primary origin of temptation is the flesh. One's own flesh desires after the things, after that sinful nature that's still remaining, that's being mortified so that as we grow in holiness. Um, by the way, the, the job of mortifying or putting to death the sinful deeds of the flesh will never end until our lives end. It's an ongoing fight that we will always have, that we were always to be endeavoring to mortify, to put to death the sins of the flesh. Um, but you, you have to acknowledge that in other places in Scripture that Satan tempted Jesus and Satan has, we know, attempted other people as well. Um, but a lot of people would go the excess and say, oh, well, the, the devil made me do it. Well, maybe, but very likely it's, it's your own flesh, fleshly desire, right? Um, three scholars, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, wrote this. He said, let no one fancy that God lays upon him an an." An inevitable necessity of sinning. So let no one fancy the thought. No, let, let no one ponder or assume that God lays upon him the inevitable necessity of sinning. God doesn't lay it upon you, the inevitable necessity of sinning, because God does not send trials in order to make you worse, but according to what we just studied in James 1, he sends you trials to make you better. I love that. Therefore, we do not sink under the pressure of evils. I, I, I want to, in that same citation, they cite a, a verse of Scripture, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 10. Why don't we turn there? Keep your place in James, 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, verse 12, 1 Corinthians 10, starting verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. So first of all, whenever you're thinking you're standing, you better take heed because you might need to be uh, checking yourself and not leaving yourself a place for sin. Right, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. So this is a particular passage of God's sovereignty that for those who love him, God will give a way of escape to, to get out of that temptation. Or he'll, he'll work in you by the means of his Holy Spirit to help you to turn away and not fall into that, uh, into that temptation, into sin. Um, now, as far as God's sovereignty regarding temptation, I've always thought of this uh, concerning the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, we pray... 
do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is a passage that I, I would say fits with what we just read in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 13. We are to pray that God would help us through, that God would not allow that, would give us the escape from temptation, that the temptation would not overtake us, that he would give us that way of escape. An example of a sad uh, thing in, in history, I, I find, in my personal history, is when I grew up Roman Catholic, I, I remember praying the Lord's Prayer over and over again. But then later on, I started to think to myself, you know, myself and my friends, we pray to God, lead us not into temptation, but we are the ones that put ourselves right in the midst of it. We ourselves willfully go down the path of temptation. So, you know, I started saying, well, that's kind of hypocritical to be praying, lead us not into temptation, when we ourselves are going right down the path. And sometimes it's just utter foolishness. I think we should pray for God to give us wisdom and self-control to flee temptation. That's one way that God answers the Lord's Prayer in that fashion and, and lead us not into temptation. Now, here's an example. Young people, um, they're not married, maybe they're dating, but they are convicted that they know it's wrong to have um, sexual relations before marriage. Yet so many people say, well, we're not going to do that, but we're going to still be behind closed doors and we'll do a bunch of kissing and touching and this and that and the other, but we're not going to do the sin that God doesn't really want us to do. You know what, when you pray, lead us not into temptation, you have to, if you're not married, you have to avoid all possibility of sin by just not being behind closed doors with a person of the opposite sex. Um, you know, that's, that's how you stay away from temptation. Getting back to James. He says that rather than God being the author of sin... Verse 14 says that it's our own sinful lusts or desires that are to blame. It says, verse 14, But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. So according to verse 14, in this case, it's not, oh, the devil made me do it. It's, you know, it's your own sinful flesh. It's your own sinful lust. It's not God to blame. It's not the devil to blame. It's your own sinful desire, which is common to man. Um, and in verse 15 gives us a, a description of how this pathway of lust leads to sin and death. Verse 15. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So just like a, a child is conceived in the womb, that lust is like the, the baby that has just been conceived. It's, it's just beginning. It's, it's tinkering around in one's heart and mind. It, it's, it, it's growing as a child grows in the womb. But then when it's born, it, it leads to great sin, and then that great sin leads to death. What, what kind of death is it talking about? I don't think it's only physical death, but I believe it's talking about spiritual death. 
the person who follows the path of temptation and doesn't turn from their sin, it leads to, it leads to that sin that leads to death, which is described in Revelation 20. That great lake of fire, the great lake of fire is also called the second death. It says, if anyone's name is not written in the book of life, he will be thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death. The book of Revelation um, uses language talking about those who are given over to destruction. It says that the smoke of their destruction rises up forever and ever. For all eternity, forever burning in the lake of fire, where the fire is never quenched and the worm never dies, the second death. I think it's a good reason to seek to flee sin, to flee the lust that leads to sin and the, the sin that leads to death. Brothers and sisters, why do we endure temptations? We must endure trials and temptations to attain unto eternal life. If you are his, he will preserve you and he will not let you go. He will keep you and protect you that you may endure to the end as evidence, not as a work that you add to Christ's work to be saved, but your enduring to the end is an example of a true and lively faith that is given to you by God. That blessed perseverance is only possible because God preserves you by his mighty power and by his sovereign hand. And when you're tempted by evil, don't say it's God tempting you. Remember, though, it's also it's very often that your own sinful lust is what leads you down the path of temptation. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ died so that we would be given a sure and steadfast salvation. And that not only Jesus dying for our sins, rising for our sins, and sending to the right hand of the Father to sit at his right hand to make intercession for us, he, if we seek him in prayer, he will guide and lead us and keep us away from the temptation that would allow us to turn away from him. Let's pray together. We thank you for your sovereign grace, O God. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has died for sinners such as us. We thank you that Jesus was raised so that we would be raised on that great and last day, that final day. We thank you for the preserving grace of your Holy Spirit. And we pray that by your power, that you would protect and preserve us. We pray that when temptation comes upon us, that you would allow us the way of escape and that you would help us to endure. Help us, we pray, to endure the trials of this life, that we would grow as well in holiness, that we would endure the fire of of trial and the testing of of the fire, that we would shine forth as gold, not for us to gloat, but for your honor and praise and adoration, especially in this life and in that final day when Christ is revealed. For we ask all these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.
for our closing hymn, let's turn to one, I'm sorry, turn to 161. Uh, the day you gave us, Lord, is ended. 161. We'll stand and sing. <laughs>